church and uh, the chance to gather together tonight. We thank you for your word and for your spirit who works so powerfully to bring that word to life. And so I pray for his powerful work tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please grab a seat. Let's spend some time in Psalms 146 to 150. Uh, They're on uh, page 447. Page 447. And you'll find a sermon outline uh, on the the back of your bulletin. Before we do that, let's um, play a game of Spicks and Specs. So, this side against this side. I'm going to complete the whole question, but I'll look for the first person to raise their hands. Uh, to the answer to this question. Name this song. Song first sung by Leonard Cohen back in the 70s. Okay, keep your hand up. I think Nick was the first, but keep your hands up. Uh, it's been covered by, first of all, by Morrissey and the Smiths, and then by Bon Jovi, followed by Katie Lang, probably most, most famous by Jeff Buckley. But also by Rufus Wainwright. If you're young at heart, made famous in the movie Shrek. Okay, Nick, what is it? Hallelujah. Do you want to sing it? No. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a great song. Actually, Leonard, version's Cohen, Leonard Cohen's version is so much better. Hallelujah. Do you know, apparently there are three words that have made it global. So whatever language you speak, uh, whatever dialect you speak, there are three words you can get away with in the whole world. One is Amen. One is Coca-Cola. <laughs> and the other is Alleluia. Alleluia. What does it mean, Alleluia? Alleluia is a word of two halves. Alel just means praise ye. It's the imperative for praise. And Yah is a shortened form of Yahweh, the Lord. It just means praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Uh, that phrase, Alleluia, it, it's not a, not a mantra that you chant like Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Uh, the word Alleluia is not something which uh, you just repeat endlessly to try and invoke some sort of spiritual high. When the Bible uses the word Alleluia, it's used to express your, your delight in God. Praise the Lord. It's used to express your, your adoration for God, your awe of God, your wonder at God. Praise the Lord. It's used to express your, your kind of, you've grasped something about God's character, who he is or, or what he's done, and your heart's fluttering and you go, Alleluia, praise the Lord. It's a very emotional word, Alleluia. It's an emotive word because it actually comes from the heart. But it's also a rational word. As your head is filled with truths about God, as you discover more about his character, then your heart is warmed and your heart is fluttering and your lips just burst out of that word, Alleluia, praise the Lord. And tonight we're going to unpack that word, Alleluia, through these, these praise psalms, Psalms 146 to 150. If you notice, all these psalms begin and end with that word, Alleluia. Uh, 146 verse 1, praise the Lord. Look how it ends. Alleluia, praise the Lord. Psalm 147 starts, praise the Lord. How does it end? Alleluia, praise the Lord. 148, praise the Lord. How does it end? Alleluia, praise the Lord. It's kind of like a, an Alleluia sandwich, if you want. 
Alleluia is the bread and the meat or the substance or, or the filling is the reasons why we should praise the Lord. But before we look at these psalms and think about why we should praise the Lord, let me just let's think about the question why we don't praise the Lord. What stops us from praising God like this psalmist? It's just a few things. I think we don't praise the Lord because we've got a wrong view of ourselves. Fundamentally, I think we still think that we're good. We still think that mankind is good. And so we praise people. We put uh, pop stars or film stars or, or sports stars on a pedestal, make them sort of godlike status. And we praise them. We praise people at work. We praise our husband. We praise our wife. We praise people. And actually, we crave praise. We long for that praise. We long for the adoration. And that's not long to want encouragement. We all need encouragement. But when your world becomes so narrow that you're just focused on yourself and your needs and your wants and you think you're worthy of all praise, then we stop praising God. We shift the focus off God and onto us. I think we don't praise God because we've got a, a wrong view of God. Uh, we see God as a kind of uh, a distant God, a, a mechanical sort of deity, not a person with, with a character and attributes and actions that are worthy of praise. Or perhaps the danger here is that we, we see God as a kind of a, a textbook or, or a creed, a, a, a list of propositional truths that we quote week in, week out, but they just feed here. They don't impact our heart. And so we don't praise you, God, that you are loving. Praise you, God, that you are this. It's just facts about God. Or perhaps we don't praise God because we've got a wrong view of what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> if I said to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say? You might say, oh, it's about obedience, you know, living to please God. Or it's about growth, you know, knowing God better, growing in God. Or it's about fellowship, meeting with Christians. Or it's about experience, experiencing God more. They're all good things, obedience and growth and fellowship. And, but actually they should all flow from praise, shouldn't they? As we bow down to God and worship him and honour him as God, as our lips shout, praise you Lord, then all the rest would flow. You see, obedience that doesn't flow from praise is just legalism. It's just duty. But actually, if you grasp God and his character and your lips are saying, praise you, Lord, then you'll start to obey. And maybe the fourth reason we don't praise God is that you know, we don't feel like praising. Life's really quite rough at the moment. And I'm doing it tough and God doesn't seem really worthy of praise. And when I don't feel like praising God, then why should I praise God? The thing about praise is that the facts don't change. He is worthy of praise. Even if you feel like it or not, he is worthy of praise. So why should we praise God? Why should we praise God? Uh, let's listen to Psalm 146. I'll ask Hayley to come and read that. And we're going to find out why we should praise God. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. 
The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. See the first reason to praise God is there in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Uh, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He remains faithful for all eternity. And that's the reason we praise God because he is reliable, he is unchanging. He won't let us down, we can trust him to keep his promises. Whatever he says will happen, it will happen. You see, as I look out at at the faces here, I'm sure every single one of us have been let down by people. You know, whether it's a politician who who fails to keep a promise or an economist who gives us dodgy advice and we lose millions on the stock market or, you know, the the husband or the wife or the person that you've bared your whole soul with and they let you down, they betray you. And so, if we just trust in those people then we end up being bitter and, and cynical and disappointed and the psalmist says they're not trustworthy people because they're just men or they're just women people will let you down people are not faithful that's what he says in verse 3 isn't it do not put your trust in princes in mortal men who cannot save don't put your trust in the influential or the big names people you look to for leadership You know, if you put your trust in, in Bush or in Blair or in Howard or in Rudd or whoever it is, Hillary or Obama if you put your trust in those people who promise all these things they will let you down they will let you down why? because they're just people it was Archbishop Grindle who said to Her Majesty the Queen he says Madam, remember you're just a mortal creature you're just a mortal creature no matter how powerful you are that's what the psalmist says people, verse 4 then when their spirit departs they return to the ground they die, they have an obituary they make loads of films but on that day all their plans come to nothing because people let you down people can't save you who's the only person who's trustworthy and, 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 and always faithful? it's God, it's the Lord, it's Yahweh how do you know that? well look at verse 5 he, he is the covenant God, the God of Jacob the God who did keep his promises He is the creator God in verse 6. He made everything, the heaven and the earth. He is the God of justice in verse 7. He he upholds the oppressed and the hungry and the the prisoner and the blind and those who are low. God is not interested in power and status and wealth. He's concerned for the poor and the lowly and the oppressed. And God does provide our food every day. God will vindicate his people. He will keep his promises. And let me say, if you're looking for someone to protect you or deliver you or save you, don't look to politicians don't look to economists don't look to your husband don't look to your wife don't look to your friend look to God because he is faithful how can I say that? how can I say that? because when Jesus Christ walked on earth he did all these things you know he fed the hungry he set prisoners free he gave sight to the blind he, he lifted up the low and on that last day we will see real justice on that last day when he sits on his throne in glory everyone will be vindicated all the atrocities will be laid bare if you doubt and question God's faithfulness if you really struggle with him keeping his promises your Christian life will be one of despondency and cynicism 
But if you really trust he's faithful and everything, every word, every dotted I, every cross T will happen, then that, that word, Alleluia, praise the Lord, is only response. Uh, the second reason for praising God is in Psalm 147. It's uh, his unconditional love. His unconditional love. Look at it. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. God provides food for the cattle and for the young ravers when they call. God's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You see, we praise God because of his unfailing love, his, his steadfast, his unchanging, his unconditional love. Now, do you see how, how God loves his world? So, verse 8, he sends rain, he makes the grass grow, he feeds the cattle. God does all that, and yet he's got a very special love for his people. So verse 2, he, he builds up Jerusalem, his people. He gathers his people who are exiles of Israel. You know, yes, he loves the world, but actually he's got a special love for his people, for his church, for you, for me. And surely that's one of the, the greatest privileges, isn't it? To know that the God who named every single star, every single one of those 10 billion stars by name, he knows them by name. If he knows you by name and he loves you personally. That's the most extraordinary thing, isn't it? If you ever take God's love for granted, you ever think that you deserve God's love, well, just take five minutes, look at yourself, look at your sin, see how wicked you really are, and say, yet he still loves me. Yet he still loves me. Ever question God's love? Ever doubt God's love? Look at the cross, look at Calvary. As one writer said, why did they nail him to the cross? Why did they nail him to the cross when his love would have held him there? Princess Alice was uh, Queen Victoria's uh, granddaughter. She had a, a young daughter who was diagnosed with diphtheria. In those days, diphtheria was untreatable, certain death. It was very, very contagious. Uh, one night, uh, Queen, uh, Princess Alice lay in bed and she listened to her daughter just screaming and screaming and screaming. So what did she do? She did what any mother would do. Uh, she got up she walked over to the room, she picked up the baby and she cuddled the baby and she kissed the baby. Within weeks, Princess Alice herself had been diagnosed with diphtheria and she died. That's sacrificial love, isn't it? Loving your daughter that much to, to die. And that is God for us on the cross at Calvary. He loved us enough to die for us. It's unfailing love, it's unconditional love. And so I need to ask you, are you conscious that God loves you in that way? Long before he made the world, he, he knew you by name, he had you in mind. 